Hello and welcome to All Bombadils Considered. I am Mary Doll, and with me as always is Ring Dongadillo. Uh, I guess I'll leave that in. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, uh, it's, yeah, welcome to All Rings Considered. That's Pip, I'm Charlie. As you may have guessed, we're talking about Tom Bombadil. We'll get a little bit of Goldberry as well. You know, yeah, I forgot. You know what else is in this chapter? Frodo. And Sam. Alright. Uh, where are we starting now? Chapter 7. Right, so this is book 1, chapter 7, in the house of Tom Bombadil. One thing I think is funny about this chapter is that it really is... I mean, we've joked about short chapters before, but this is genuinely the first chapter where the plot legitimately does not move. It's true. I think this, I think it's probably the only chapter where that happens, arguably. There, there really isn't any progression here. And yeah, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, it's just, but it, it is happening. Or not happening. And yeah, this chapter has a lot going on. Right, absolutely. Uh, we, we, some of which we started talking about last chapter. Because Let's just say, let's, we're going to talk all today about what is going on with Tom Bombadil. The most mysterious character in the book. We started talking about him last week. We actually had a, uh, Pip, you had a really good sort of overview of your thoughts on Bombadil. We're going to just keep exploring that subject today. Uh, maybe we should do a summary of this chapter first, even though nothing actually happens. So in this chapter, the hobbits arrive at the house of Tom Bombadil. They meet Goldberry. Um, they have some food and they talk with Tom. And they go for uh, a night's rest. Afterwards, they wake up, and there's more eating and more conversation with Tom. Um, we have an interesting interaction with Tom Bombadil in the ring, and the hobbits prepare for continuing on their expedition, and they go to bed, getting ready to leave for the next day. Yeah, people forget that uh, the book is not just walking. There is a lot of sleeping and, and a lot of talking <laughs> and sitting. So, yeah, let's dive into it, though. Recap for me real quick. Your take on Bombadil as a whole, which I actually think is very similar to mine. So that's why I want you to start and get this out. So I think the way I read Tom Bombadil is as a representation of what the way that the world is. You could look at it as the physics of the world. You can think about it as just the natural way in which the their reality operates. And I think there's an interesting way to look at it this way. There's some evidence for this that we'll go over but looking at it this way, it's interesting to see what his relationship to other characters means because then you can see how Tolkien is, his thoughts towards how reality is through how Tom acts with other characters. Yeah, and I think for the most part, I'm just in agreement. I never thought of him as physics, but I do think the world, the, sorry, the word I would use instead, or at least have used, is... He is sort of the world itself, or he is the earth itself. Maybe not in its physical sense, but he represents the earth in all its sort of maybe uncaringness toward what's going on around it, or at least toward the acts of man, right? The, the acts of the, the mortals messing it up. So, uh, but otherwise, I think I'm in genuinely, generally in agreement with you here. And we talked last episode too about Bombadil's connection with music and song and how. If you read the Silmarillion, you you see that Tolkien envisions the world as essentially a one giant song composed by Iluvatar himself, essentially God himself, 
And so Bombadil, I think his his connection with singing, I think, is related to that in some way. Although I also pointed out last chapter, if you were reading this in 1950, 1954 or what have you, when it first released, you wouldn't have known that part. That's right. So it's still there's still something going on here that you could fi- you could figure out from Bombadil even without knowing all that about singing. And I think it's really what we're going to get into today. So, but it's a good question I have written down here. Who is Tom Bombadil? Um, because it's actually a question that the characters mm-hmm. in this book was that your ask, ta- was that it, your takeaway from the chapter? That was my takeaway. Um, but it's actually a question that the characters ask repeatedly. Frodo asks Goldberry when he meets her. He says, "Tell me if my asking does not seem foolish. Who is Tom Bombadil?" And Goldberry just replies, "He is." No, great he, moment there, by the way. And this this is why I think those conversations about which rank of deity tom bombadil is are foolish because i definitely take this as a reference to the hebrew bible to the moment in the books of exodus when yahweh reveals his himself to moses in the burning bush and moses says who are you and all he says is i am that i am which just for context some people have taken that to mean oh like god is existence but that's not quite what it's saying there the the meaning of that we think is I am somebody that you're not going to reduce to a label or to a description or to a name. Like I am unbound by your language. And I, that's that's how I see Bombadil here too, that whatever rank of deity you want to argue he is, he's not. No, he just is. Furthermore, we the hobbits ask him later in the chapter two who he is. And this time they ask Tom himself. He says, don't you know my name yet? That's the only answer. Tell me, who are you, alone, yourself, and nameless? But you are young, and I am old. Eldest, that's what I am. Mark my words, my friends. Tom was here before the river and the trees. Tom remembers the first raindrop and the first acorn. He made paths before the big people and saw the little people arriving. He was here before the kings and the graves and the barrel whites. When the elves passed westward, Tom was here already, before the seas were bent. He knew the dark under the stars when it was fearless before the Dark Lord came from outside. So he is eldest. He is older than everything else. And yet we're going to see later in the book somebody who is the oldest living thing. That's right. Treebeard actually makes a claim as well to be the oldest living thing. Yeah. Which makes me think, though, I don't think that's a contradiction. I, I don't think Tom's living. I think whatever he is is beyond questions of life and death. And it, later when they discuss Bombadil at the Council of Elrond, when we get there, we'll have to be more careful with this actual language analysis, but I don't think they use questions of life and death. I think Gandalf talks about him potentially falling, but it's not a question of him dying. Uh, I, I don't think he's alive. I don't. He is something else. And this, again, is what, to me, one more piece of evidence that he is somehow some sort of avatar or personification of the Earth itself. And, I mean, furthermore, this guy doesn't... He doesn't seem to care about the deeds of human beings and hobbits and elves and whoever we see this in that strange ring interaction where he actually frodo gives him the ring willingly uh, much to frodo's own surprise actually he's just able to hand over the ring and bombadil puts it on and is just completely unaffected by it later in the book well you know we'll see council elrond they'll talk about hey what if we give this ring to bombadil but then they run the risk of him forgetting about it and I don't know, I mean, I just think if I, do you think the Earth cares about, you know, human beings and their wars, right? Well, it's interesting because 
in some sense, Tom has this aloofness, but I think it's, I wouldn't take it so much as he doesn't care at all, but it's just that each specific moment is, is so small for someone who's going to see all moments that he sees them as just, ah, this is, of course, this is King's rise and fall. That's just things that happen when you are, Mm -hmm. we were watching from his perspective. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, he does help the hobbits out of Old Man Willow. It's not that he doesn't care about them. We'll see in the next chapter he helps the hobbits out of a bind in the barrows. But that also, that almost also reinforces my point just in that he demonstrates that he has power over beings like Old Man Willow or, more importantly, the Barrowites next chapter. But he doesn't... And he's, willing to ex- he's willing to exercise that power in those moments to save the hobbits. But in theory, it's like, okay, well, why are there Barrow Whites at all then? Why don't you just go kick them all out now? Why are they here in that case? It's not that he's uncaring, maybe. It's more that, yeah, it, it's these small things aren't going to trouble him. Something that Tom does, we can agree, Tom does care about very much mm-hmm. um, is Goldberry. Um, yeah. I think we should talk a little bit about her. Goldberry is another sort of wrench in anybody who's trying to categorize all of the characters in Middle-earth. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a description of what she is like. Proto immediately is overwhelmed by her presence when he first meets her, as if he's meeting a a, a royal elf. But Goldberry is the Ripper daughter, and that's what she is. I've always read Goldberry as a compliment to Tom, as being a representation of life. Um, and we can see, I think we see a little bit of attitude of how what Tolkien's universe in Middle Earth. The relationship between the way things are and life itself is that the way of the world is compatible or complementary to life itself. The world itself is good in some way. And there's a great quote here. Um, They're pairing supper together and they're frantically running about the room. And it's, yet in some fashion they seem to weave in a single dance, neither hindering the other, in and out of the room and round about the table. And they, um, Yeah, I mean, they're in sync. Right, yeah. Right. At the same time, there is something about Goldberg that throws a wrench, not just in in people looking for the hierarchy of Middle Earth, but also even in, I think, our own, we're discussing here, which is Bomdell really cares about Goldberry a lot. Much more than he really cares in the end about Hobbits. Certainly more than he cares about the Ring and of any conflict that's going to arise. And I don't know, it's, it's hard for me to figure out the way to reconcile Goldberry with that. You do have some interesting lines here, again, to reinforce that there's something about Bombadil that's sort of like older than than life itself. Uh, you have lines where Bombadil's talking to the hobbits and telling them stories, and it says that the hobbits begin to feel themselves as the strangers where all other things were at home. So again, this is some, there's something about that Bombadil that's just purely natural, like even more so than life. And there's got to be sort of a, a point to having this character in the book. Well, let's jump into that. Let's say yeah. we have an idea where we're kind of in agreement about who is Tom Bombadil. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the next question. What is Tom's role in the story at this yeah. chapter? One thing I think is interesting is that he. this is really early in the book. Really early. We're on chapter 7, and we're getting this character. Why? Whatever he is, he's something that Tolkien felt important enough to come up early. I sort of took him as a sort of the natural pacifistic state or the natural maybe like sort of apathetic. I'm just going to stay out of it. 
in the state. And Tolkien seems to see sort of limits in that, right? That if, if you go that road, if you are the, the Bombadil, in a way, you're more in tune with the Earth, which is so big and grand and, and lasts so long that it's not going to care one way or the other sometimes about these conflicts. But on the other hand, you're not going to care about conflicts that are really important, and that matters, and that needs to be maybe on your mind as you read this book. I mean, Tolkien, I think in a lot of ways is, Bombadil in a lot of ways is a critique, a critique of inaction, a critique of, of pacifism in its own way. At the same time, like on the flip side of that, it's not quite a harsh critique. Obviously, there's a lot to admire about Bombadil. If only we all could live like Bombadil, hmm. we'd all be better off, right? I like that in, as well. It kind of fits in the way that I might take away from Tom Bombadil, which is that there's something... The, the, the world is good, but there's something lacking, and what it is is uh, agency. Because Tom, it's very large scale time scale he's very powerful and he's good but what's necessary in the world is the agency the actual characters who are struggling with the conflicts of the present all right we're running short on time we have only a few more things we can cover pip any other uh themes or thoughts you have about the chapter well there's a um important section here for the little that does happen the hobbit's go to bed and we have this this nice uh, section where they each have a dream. Frodo has a prophetic dream of Gandalf in, in Isengard. Pippin has a nightmare of willow trees. Uh, Mary has a dream of drowning. And then it's actually kind of funny. Sam uh, gets one line instead of a paragraph and it's, as far as he could remember, Sam slept through the night in deep content if logs are contented. More shade thrown at Sam. <laughs> right. Actually, I think that's int- I think it it's in some sense, Sam seems to be in tune with the thread of the world uh, more than the other hobbits because he, you know, he's kind of in tune with poetry. He has this, this singing, this musicalness about him as well. So I, I just took it that he is very comfortable in, in Tom's realm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that they're in the safety of Tom's realm. You would think that this is just safe and great, but they have nightmares while they're here. I don't think that's just because they're under pressure or anxious. I think part of Tom's realm is the bad stuff too, as well as the good stuff. Again, maybe that's just my reading of him as Earth coming into this, but sure. I mean, in his domain are things like the the mean willow, sure, the old willow. Well, and he'll call the barrows. Are the barrows his domain? Either way, he definitely has power. I mean, he and he knows them very well. Like when he talks about his world, he sort of includes them right. in his vocabulary and, and language. So even if he, I'm not, I'll check next chapter if they. He actually calls them his domain, but they're close enough. And these dreams, actually, uh, it's a nice segue into my favorite line that I just, uh, not for its prose, but I just thought it was very funny. There's a line, Thomas is talking, and he has a sentence where he tells the hobbits that he, he basically reveals that he knows that they had nightmares. And then he says, ring dong a dillo. So it's, uh, um, <laughs> in the night, little folk wake up in the darkness and sleep after light has come. Ring dong a dillo. I just think it's very funny to be like, by the way, I know what happens when you're sleeping. Ring a dong dillo. <laughs> um, I just, I thought that was funny enough to be my favorite. I don't know how Tolkien wrote some of these lines without bursting into laughter at his notebook or his typewriter or whatever. He it very was. well could. I hope he did. Uh, my favorite line, my favorite line was when. The hobbits asked Tom, I think Frodo asked Tom, 
did you hear me calling out for help when you came and saved us in the previous chapter from old man willow uh and tom says something that i think is thematically just a running theme throughout the lord of the rings tom says did i hear you calling nay i did not hear i was busy singing just chance brought me then if chance you call it nice little succinct representation of a running theme of the book that eh, it's not always chance there's some kind of providence at work throughout the story well with that let's let's close things out join us next time for chapter eight fog on the barrow downs mm-hmm.